Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. I don't know what happened on January 6th. And I don't know what really happened with the vote in Georgia. And I don't know how lethal COVID-19 really is. But I do know that there's a concerted effort to prevent us from learning the truth, the facts about these things. Our freedom of inquiry is being shut down by both the mainstream and social media. Increasingly, I think this show is simply about pursuing the, tru the truth and defending our freedoms to do so. Uh, you know, case in point is a recent story in the New York Times fact-checking the January 6th Trump speech, Antifa's involvement in, or Antifa's involvement in the Capitol Hill riot, and the Georgia vote. Uh, the New York Times story is riddled with flagrant falsehoods and distortions. With me today to talk about the uh, Times story is my frequent guest and, and truth teller extraordinaire, Jim Agressi, founder of Just Facts. Bill, this thank you for having me on. Jim, is great as always. Uh, just, just to be clear, we talked about this before. This episode is about language and speech and media distortion, not about what really happened. Uh, we don't know what really happened, and that's the problem. So Jim, let's start in. Where where are we with the uh, with this time story? What was that last week that this came out? Yes. So uh, the Times fact checked President Trump's attorneys during the, or should I say, former President Trump's attorneys during the impeachment trial, and they claimed that a number of the statements made by the attorneys were false or misleading or lacked context. And in reality, what is false? is most cases is the fact check. These were not Trump's you know, typical off the cuff, exaggerated statements. These were very measured statements by the attorney, attorneys that are provably, demonstrably true, let the, yet the New York Times said they're false and then proceeded to prove that by uh, uttering a ton of falsehoods in support of their uh, fact check. Well, by proving you mean making certain de declarations about things that if you, as you look into it, just weren't true. Objectively, demonstrably, categorically false. So what about the inciting violence piece of this? I mean, there so, was talk about the use of the word fight and how that meant uh, people were supposed to take their AR-15s and go to the Capitol, even though there were no AR-15s there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Trump's attorney, like many other people, pointed to Trump's speech on the day of the Capitol Hill riot and said, hey, he said in this speech, let's peacefully and patriotically go down to the Capitol and make our voices heard. This is clearly not an incitement to riot. In fact, it's an incitement not to riot. It's saying, let's be peaceful about this. Let's be patriotic about it. So the New York Times says, well, this is misleading because Trump used the word fight 20 times in the same speech. However, that uh, rebuttal is dependent upon the assumption that Trump meant the word fight in a physical sense, but the context of what he said clearly shows he was talking about it 
in a legal and verbal sense. And you can see that from, from every time he uses the word fight. Uh, in particular, he was talking about the media. And he said, listen, we, you know, we don't believe the corrupt fake news media anymore. They've ruined their reputation. But it used to be they'd argue with me. And I'd fight, so they'd fight, and I'd fight, and they fight. That's like five uses of the word fight right there. And he was just saying, hey, we had an argument about this. And now he's saying what they do is they go silent. It's called suppression. And that's exactly what we're dealing here with the New York Times. What they're doing is prejudicing the jury. They're basically trying to tell people you can't trust those Trump attorneys because they're lying. When in fact, the people who are misleading here are the New York Times. Well, didn't the Trump defense attorneys show uh, endless minutes, hours of uh, Democrats using exactly the same language? Yes, they showed video footage of them using the word fight more than 200 times. Uh, many times uh, the tone in their voice was very combative. And more than a dozen times, they used the exact phrase that the Democrats included in Trump's impeachment resolution, fight like hell. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting because, you know, I've been to Washington, D.C. area, and I'm surrounded by people who did not vote for Donald Trump, and they get all their information from the New York Times and the Washington Post. And if that's all you're reading, I mean, I'm forced to read it because I'm interested in what's really going on, and, but they don't read anything else. So you're saying if they read this story and that's it, they'd say flat out Trump was, was, uh, was lying. He was urging people to go to the Capitol and, and, uh, and go inside and uh, do what they did. I found in this day and age that uh, you can almost take nobody's word for anything. And that includes myself, not that I have a bad record. It's that I always encourage people to check what I'm saying. Yeah. One of the unique things Just Facts does is we link right to the primary source. Oftentimes we quote it directly so that people can go and verify what we say. Um, so I, I just recommend if it's something important, do the digging for yourself and uh, dig back to that primary source, read the full transcript, watch the full video because the media consistently, they're infamous for taking people out of context. And uh, the New York Times, uh, we have a recent piece about this, is uh, does this as a regular course of habit. And, yeah, and we've, we've got a whole list of things I think we might want to get into in just a bit. Mm -hmm. So if you did all this digging about what Trump's intentions really were, did you find anything that suggested that that was his, uh, his motive? No, it, it, just the opposite. He has been clear throughout his time in the office and even before that uh, we should uh, respect law enforcement, respect our laws. He kept using the phrase law and order. It's very, very clear what he was talking about. And to surmise otherwise or lead people to believe otherwise is grossly, grossly misleading. Well, we're also being told by the Times this was all about white supremacists and uh, the left wasn't remotely involved in anything having to do with what happened at the Capitol yet. Yet there's, I think we've got somebody from Antifa who was, who was involved, at least according to your research. What, what was that about? Well, the, the New York Times uh, is denying this, and this is part of my article, but uh, there's no question that a leader of Antifa was present at the riot, 
that he broke a window, that he incited people, sometimes yelling through a megaphone, to storm and burn the Capitol, that he celebrated inside the Capitol as this was going on with a, uh, an accomplice saying, we did it, we did it. Um, and this is not something my research shows, this is something that the FBI listed in the arrest uh, affidavit calling for the arrest of this individual who was arrested. His own videos show this. There's no question these things happened. And, and the New York Times is saying, well, he, was, he just says he was there to film the event. Since when does uh, the uh, denial of an accused person uh, carry more weight and evidence for a fact check than actual video of the event? So did you, how did, they, how did they cover the fact check? You said they, one of the things I think they said was uh, they mischaracterized that somebody said it was, he was the leader of Antifa. And I think the, the what the lawyers have said or what was that, was he was a leader or a member or something like that, big difference. Yes, they, they, they took the lawyer's words, which are again, available on video and said, um, he called him the leader of Antifa. But what that person actually said is a leader of Antifa. And then the New York Times, Linda Q is the author of this fact check, said Antifa doesn't have a leader. <laughs> so therefore he must be wrong about this. But, but the fact is this guy was the leader of a group called Insurgents USA. His name was John Sullivan. He, saw, he had a website where he sold black block tactical gear which is what's often used by Antifa, the, the black clothing, the black face mask, the black umbrella, and rubber pigs that Antifa will carry to mock police officers that squeak. This guy's in the business of selling rubber pigs? Yes, but no, he's not Antifa, according to the New York Times. And you know what the New York Times says is the reason for this? He says he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a great defense. I want to get him as my criminal defense lawyer, I suppose, if, if, that, if that stands up. So is there, is there any evidence that anybody, I mean, we, we said this is not about what really happened, we don't know, but I mean, was there, what other distortions surrounding the left's involvement in this uh, might the Times have engaged in? You know, insofar as the Capitol Hill riot, that's about as deep as my research goes. Yeah. I looked into this one particular person because PolitiFact did a fact check that was very much like the New York Times' fact check. Abject nonsense, completely in a, in a, uh, at odds with the facts. And by the way, you're talking about freedom of speech here. So somebody had posted this evidence to Facebook and based on this PolitiFact fact check, Facebook censored the post, put a big warning up, reduced its, its thing, said, you know, this is not true or this lacks context or it's misleading. So what the New York, what Facebook has going on here, right? They said, well, we have independent fact checkers that vet this for us. And then they don't hold them to any kind of standards. Uh, so which means basically this whole independent thing is a farce. Facebook has cherry picked certain organizations to be the arbiters of truth on their website. And then they call them independent, no. They're your agents and you will not hold them to account and you are cutting off the speech of other people based on abject falsehoods from these people. And I have a line to Facebook. 
because we used to do a, a good amount of advertising with them. So we were a good customer. So I, I had people there and I posed these questions like, well, what kind of standards do you hold these people to? What happens if they do something false? And you can, I cannot get a straight answer from them. I just get the form email. These are independent fact checkers. You know, it's just abject circular well, nonsense. I, I, how do you communicate with Facebook? I mean, I've, I've gotten into things with Facebook and YouTube and, and you know, all you get is a, is a form email. That you're, you're talking to, uh, what's the computer, Hal from Space Odyssey? I mean, you know, no, there's no problem here. <laughs> But, well, you know, Facebook's got that advisory board they put together saying, well, we're going to have an independent advisory board to give us their, their thoughts on policies. And if you, you know, Brent Bozell, the Media Research Center, analyze who was on it. And every single, every single member with maybe one exception out of 40 people was a member of the progressive left. And they're, you know, there's no bias, but we just, <laughs> we're just, not seeing the world quite the way they do. So what what about the Georgia absentee ballots? What was what was the way time? How did how did time spend that? So here we get into this thing of taking people out of context. You know, as has been widely reported in the media, Trump uh, told the governor of Georgia to find the ballots to change the uh, ultimate result in Georgia. The, the only thing you typically see in a media account is the word "find" in quotes you know, as if we trust them given their track record to make sure they're using that in context. And what the, his attorney pointed out is they're not using it in context. He was talking about the problems, the well-known problems in Georgia. And he said that, hey, in 2016, the absentee ballot rejection rate in Georgia was about 6.42%. And uh, this year time out, it's only 0.4% despite a massive increase in the number of absentee ballots, which you would think would lead to an even higher rejection rate. Instead, you have this much lower rejection rate. So here the New York Times fact checkers step in and say, no, 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 he's comparing apples and oranges and without getting too deep into the weeds, the fact of the matter is that 0.4% rate is 100% correct. In fact, I shouldn't say that. I, we've chugged the numbers went through all the Georgia Secretary of State's data, which is a massive data set, and we came out with 0.35%. So if you round it, it's 0.4%. That number is entirely accurate. And Q just dismisses it, says, well, I don't know the source of that number. And just gone. Not, let's do some digging. And the number is available on other websites. So we, what's, uh, that, what's, what's that mean in terms of votes? So uh, let me put it to you this way. There's some question about the absentee ballot rejection rate in, in, in 2016. Georgia has two different figures or has two different data sets. But even if you go with the lower one, which is a 2.9% rejection rate, if that were the rejection rate in 2020, about 34,000 fewer absentee ballots would have been cast in Georgia. In comparison, Joe Biden's margin of victory in the state was under 12,000 votes. So it's certainly, possibly, in the range that could overturn the results of the election. And that's the point the attorney was bringing out. And he did it very accurately. Uh, but the New York Times just dismisses it. Again, this is a fact check from so the so-called paper of record. And it's just blatantly misleading people. So what about the signature audit? So 
the one of the attorneys, Trump's attorneys, also brought out the fact that hey, President Trump wanted the signature verification to be done in public. He's not asking for a riot. He's asking for transparency in this election. And and the Times in Q say, well, you know what? A signature audit was done, and it disproves what President Trump says. And this is what's so grossly misleading about this. I know I keep using that word. I don't want to overuse the word grossly, but it really, you're, really you're is. You're using the word grossly misleading in the context of the New York Times? That's <laughs> only because uh, you don't read the Washington Post, which is worse. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you do. I don't know. I do. I, I read them both every day. And uh, oh, but God. I just help us. think of another word to really emphasize how blatantly dishonest and or incompetent these fact checks are. Well, how do you know what you know? I mean, one of the things I like talking with you is you've done a lot of deep digging into this. And I, I think and we've talked about it before, but I think it'd be worth reminding me and everyone else about what kind of work you do to dig into what, what's real and what isn't real. Sure. So we have uh, instituted standards of credibility, which you can check out on the About Us page of JustFacts.com. And what it is, is a series of principles that we use to check facts. And there's seven of them. One of the most important ones that I applied here is going to the primary source. You know, it, it, when you're a child, you played that game telephone, somebody started out with a, a phrase, a statement, and then it got passed around the room. And by the time it arrived back at you, it was always greatly distorted. And this is what happens when we rely on secondary sources. I don't care who they are. You have to dig back to that primary source of data to see what is going on. And that's what we do as a course of habit. It takes a lot of time, but it pays dividends because now we're getting the straight raw data as opposed to somebody's interpretation of it or misinterpretation of it. Who else out there is doing what you're doing? Um, as a matter, I don't know of anyone. Quite frankly, yeah, that's the reason I, I always you're you're my go-to guy on this because most people are in secondary sources or hearsay or people, you know, believe what they feel, not necessarily what what's what's true. Now, you wrote a piece, and I've had a chance to dig into it uh, in the last day or two. We get a whole litany of things at the time uh, has been has been distorting what what's happening. You want to tick down that list just briefly. Sure. So I can get more depressed about uh, finding just, out. Just a little context here, because this is unbelievable. So okay. the Times published an essay by a technology columnist by the name of Kevin Roos. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. And he frets, and I think rightly, that the, that the U.S. is suffering from a reality crisis. And, and this is his solution. He wants President Biden to set up a truth commission. Tell me how Orwellian that sounds to combat the scourge of hoaxes, lies, and collective delusions that lead to violent unrest and civic dysfunction. Uh, yet the Times idea of truth, and oftentimes Biden's idea of truth, and the left's idea of truth, often consists of falsehoods that cause those very social ills. And, and just to rattle off a few of them, they have published hoaxes, lies, and delusions that spur violence against police, that have actually resulted in their killings. Uh, they incite class warfare. They put out falsehoods about the economy that stagnated. 
They slander the United States as a nation and its people. They sow racial animosity. They empower criminals by disarming their victims. They cover up corruption and graft and fraud. Uh, they demonize elected officials. This example of Trump is a prime example. Uh, they distort science. I mean, the list goes on and on. I've got, I, I didn't count them all. I, I'm guessing 50 plus examples of how the New York Times has done that. Again, with objectively well, false well, assertions. Yeah, and just to put a finer point on it, you say, they, they say things like the job market is not working to distribute wealth, which is not true. Our tax code isn't progressive. Well, it's the most progressive in the Western world. Um, the, uh, there's little, and this is my favorite because I've been in business for 40 years and I can tell you all about regulations. So they say there's little historical evidence that tying regulation levels to economic growth. And, uh, oh, this is a good one. As a result of Obamacare, wages will go up, not down. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it boggles. Yet, I tell you, if we go over to my club and there are a whole lot of people in my club that voted for John, you know, Joe Biden, they'll tell you this stuff is absolutely, absolutely true. No doubt about it. And how do they know that? Because they read it in the New York Times. So who's behind it, New York Times? Didn't they get bailed out by some, uh, I mean, one of the other themes I'm getting into is there seems to be a, a common cause being made by the tech oligarchs and the woke progressive left. And I don't want to get into the other, you know, the Chinese Communist Party is actually, uh, I'll, I'll stay away with that one for this one. But you've got all these billionaires now that seem to control the media outlets. And We've got Bezos with the Washington Post, and who's the who's the billionaire uh, behind uh, the, the the bailed the New York Times out? So uh, that is Carlos Slim. In 2015, he became the largest single shareholder of the New York Times. He is also a, a Mexican citizen, not an American citizen. He loaned them a quarter of a billion dollars in the midst of the Great Recession. His credit was really tight. And in the Times' own, world, own words, they were in peril. Um, he also, um, at that time, was the second richest person in the world, uh, $72 billion net worth. So we have a foreigner pumping in money into a US news outlet. Uh, you cannot do that with a US election, as we well know. But yet, the law allows it to happen with US news outlets. Have you done any work to find out what his views are? I mean, I, I, he doesn't seem to be like a George Soros who's incredibly ideological and, and driven to bring about stuff. Is, is this, was just this a vanity investment for, for Slim or, or something else? I don't think anybody gets into a stock for vanity for the most part. I, you know, I don't know his views, but I have to imagine he did not want to see this paper fail. Well, either because it was serving his business interests or serving his personal views. But people don't put that kind of money into something just for the fun of it. Well, I think his motive, I don't know, this is again speculation. I, his motive seems to me to be more buying good opinion and favorable coverage, because if there's anybody who could be a target of the progressive left, it's a, it's a Mexican billionaire with $72 billion in control of all these all of these entities, which, uh, which, which, which a hostile reporter could hurt. I, but nevertheless, uh, uh, 
it's not like the Times is being rewarded by the marketplace. Does the Times make money? Do they make money? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, just to give you an idea, you know, the time frets about big voices and special interest groups and politics and how the voice of the wealthy drown out the common people. These are almost direct words from one of their op-eds. But for more than a century, one extended family has owned a controlling share of the Times, the Ox Salzberger family. And the revenues from the Times are approximately 20% greater than the total donations of all US citizens and corporations to federal Republican campaigns and causes. I'm talking about presidential candidates, congressional candidates, and even special interest groups, the so-called dark money. So you have one family with a greater voice and more power to speak as measured by money than basically half of the United States population. So um, I don't think they read their own masthead then, did they? I mean, that was sort of, but that, that's not unusual. We need, we need to get a truth commission after them to find out um, why they're not disclosing all this. Uh, well, and I'm sure they'll fact check this and we'll, we'll find out that the things you said are true. They'll, they'll tell us, they'll somehow spin it. Well, Jim, I wanna, I wanna bring this one to a close because we're gonna have a lot more to talk about in other topics in the future. Turns out you were absolutely right about the uh, changing subjects here about the number of deaths caused by the lockdowns of, of COVID-19 and the pandemic versus the number of people who died. People are talking about a big number, 500,000, which is a tragically large number. I still don't think anybody's really dug into how much of that is, um, well, I don't think anybody's dug into that number. That's a different question, but you were right about the, the damage that the lockdowns would do to uh, society, in particular kids. Yeah, some multiple peer-reviewed journals have come out with studies yeah. and the results accord with ours, which I believe we did in April or May, months ahead of the curve um, that uh, my co-author and I, Dr. Andrew Glenn, and uh, they're basically finding the same things that when you have people saying, well, we, we have to save lives, you have to measure the harm that your cure does. And if you say, well, we're gonna lock down children and yeah. we're going to destroy jobs and destroy the economy. And people are gonna be so terrified because we're terrifying them to make sure they don't um, you know, uh, get away from the lockdown and not honor it. They don't get medical care. Yeah. And all these things are coming to, uh, coming, chickens are coming home to roost. And all that, all that works on your website. Yes, it is. So uh, anyway, Jim Agresti, founder of Just Facts. Thanks again for coming on. We'll have you back for our next uh, next installment. I'm sure not not in a, in, a, in the in the near future. Uh, and for everybody watching this and listening to this, I hope you'll go to the JustFacts.com website. There's a whole treasure trove of. Uh, what's really happening in the world. And I think it's worth, worth the time spent with it. So Jim, thank you. We'll be talking again soon. And uh, thank you for watching and listening. And uh, we'll be back with a, with a hopefully equal interesting episode uh, in the next few days. Thanks. Thank you, Bill. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. 
If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.